Do you like sports? Do you like art? What about science? Giraffes? Giraffe scientists that paint rugby games? It's all available on Audible, the biggest audiobook site with the largest selection of audiobooks this side of the inner solar system. No need to use your boring old eyes anymore. The ears are the future, my friend. Why, you're using them right now. So check out Audible and get your listen on. Go to www.readlearnlivepodcast.com slash audible to start your 30-day free trial today. You can't change your past, but you can control how you feel about the past and how you use that to drive your future. Hello and welcome to Read, Learn, Live, the podcast about improving yourself through literature. I'm your acclaimed host, John Monaster, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 61, where we break our summer fast. That's right, I've been out of commission for the past month and a half, and now I'm back, 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 and it's time to get back into the saddle. So as always, if you have ideas for books you'd like to see featured or of authors you want to put me in touch with, you can reach me at jon at readlearnlivepodcast.com. And today, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak with author Hao Jung about her book, Hard Mother, Spider Mother, Soft Mother. Hao Wai Jung is an international transplant and former physicist who writes science, science fiction, and fiction in no particular order. Her prose and poetry have appeared in publications such as Uncanny, Strange Horizons, and Fireside. She splits her time between the East Coast and the Internet. Follow her at H-A-L- Y-Z-H-A-N-G dot com. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Read, Learn, Live podcast. I'm your host, John Monaster, and I'm very excited to be here in the Brooklyn Public Library this Sunday afternoon with my guest, Hao Jung. Hao, say hello. Hello. Oh, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, I'm really uh, excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. It's going to be fun, and I'm excited to talk about your uh, short story here, your hard mother, spider mother, soft mother story. Um, I, I think it's, uh, I was glad to see it kind of pass through my inbox and, and reach out and, and find out more about it. So, um, but I always like to kick off by having the author uh, kind of tell us in your own words what the, what the story is all about. Sure. Uh, I would say the story is from a very uh, sort of personal point of view, but I try to make it, uh, you know, not totally just uh, myself, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the protagonist's name is Ellery Long, and she is uh, a Chinese-American, sort of 20-year-old, uh, 20-some-year-old who just graduated. It's kind of like uh, feeling out what she wants to do next in life. So she goes back to live with her mom, Valerie, who uh, kind of starts behaving really strangely over the course of them living together. And eventually her mom just randomly decides to leave with no no um, uh, indication of where she's going or what she's doing. And uh, Valerie uh, just, Valerie's disappearance basically makes Ellery very uh, upset and confused. And she starts to recover all these memories of her childhood, which uh, 
distress her even further because they there don't seem to be you know normal childhood memories right these are like memories of just being maybe left alone for a really long time or just things that didn't make any sense like didn't seem like normal parental mm -hmm. things that she had repressed for many years and so this is kind of a very uh, I would say internalized story about Ellery figuring out uh, how to reconcile her past with her present as she looks for her mother. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting summary. And part of what I want to get into is that summary didn't really bring in any of the science fiction-y parts right, of the story, right. which is very interesting to me. So we'll, we can talk about that in, in a minute. Um, but thanks, that's, help, that's really helpful. And so I always like to start off kind of getting into the, the creative process a little bit before we talk about really the, the meat. So just to take a step back, what was your process for putting this together? You know, and and I know that you've you've done a lot of other work. You've done poetry. You've put out other books. And so, how how is that process changing for you over time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've I don't qualify as having written other books. I've contributed okay. to stories in anthologies. You've for done sure. some writing. So, yeah, I've I've done a bit of writing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I actually uh, started writing in 2017. Uh, so I'd written random things before that, you know, when I was a kid, but I don't think that really counts. Uh, in 2017, I was just sitting uh, one day in lab. Um, I was a physics grad student, and I was just really frustrated with how the experiment was running, and I suddenly decided to just write a story. Not about the experiment, but, uh, you know, sort of science fiction story. Mm -hmm. And so from then on, I kind of re-caught the writing bug, um, so to say, and uh, I just kind of wrote everywhere where there was a, you know, a pause. I really like to write on like train trips, uh, my daily commute to and from work. I find that really productive because there is no internet, which is really the most addictive and dangerous thing for me. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why I don't for all get of us. anything done. Yet. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this story started uh, with the just the opening line popping into my head, and it just proceeded from there. And in general, the way I write is very much like. I'm not a planner at all. Uh, I don't know how things go. I just uh, keep writing until I get to the end, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. There are stories where I do know what happens, and then I'm not really tempted to finish them because it feels like to me I already know what happens. And oh. it's kind of strange that way. But yeah, writing for me is almost a way of uh, discovery and, and exploring and find, figuring out what, what actually happens. Oh, that's really interesting. So you have to be able to surprise yourself. Right. To write. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, so would you say there's any particular step that's that's really hard for you as you go through this process? Yes. Usually what gets me is uh, I'll, you know, write um, parts of the story and then I'll get stuck somewhere in the middle and then I have to really think about how to get to the end because, again, I don't plan anything. Uh, for this story in particular... I got pretty stuck near the end, actually, and I wasn't sure what would happen in the end. Uh, maybe getting, a, I'll try not to spoil too much here, <laughs> but uh, uh, so the first version of the story, which was like half the length of what it is now, um, it just ends with Ellery and her mother both in the hospital and in, that's it. Uh, and it took me a while to discover that this was not really where I wanted the story to end. It's not just, you know, ending with, Valerie found, so to say, like or Ellery knowing where she is, but it is also a way of, it's also, it's really important to me that Ellery kind of reconciles um, different versions of her mother in her mind and kind of figures out for herself, like what she wants to do moving forward with her mother and maybe with her life. 
yeah, that there's some closure right. to to right. everything that's been brought up here. It doesn't yeah. just sort of end abruptly, which is another form of closure that that does happen in stories. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how are you personally connected to all this? I feel like you've sort of dropped some breadcrumbs so far that there's that there's something about you in all of this. So how are you connected to the story? Yeah. So um, I would say, well, superficially, you know, Ellery is. Chinese American, and so am I, but it goes beyond that, right? So uh, part of the inspiration for the story was that I was just casually talking to my parents, uh, discussing things that happened in my childhood, and they didn't remember many of these really important events that I remember. And that was really startling to me that, uh, you know, that I and my parents can remember my childhood so differently. Mm -hmm. They thought sort of that I was an easy child to raise up, but I remember all these different conflicts that, th yeah, they had, they just, they just don't think happened. Hmm. And it's almost like I, I was calling, you know, I was feeling like uh, accidentally gaslit or something, right? Because now yeah. I'm like, wait, did that actually happen? Because, or did I just make that up? That is weird <laughs> yeah. that they sort of decided to remember the best. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of parents might go the other direction. Right. Well, I think in my case as well, I, I have you know, a sibling and mm -hmm. they, they think, they like to say, you know, my bringing up was easier than bringing up my brother. Uh, but I don't know if that's <laughs> actually true. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, well, I think that's part of what mm -hmm. the book gets into and it sounds like you got into with your parents as well, which is the sort of the fungibility of memory and what it all For means sure. and what is true, really. Right. You know, if we all are trying to decide between ourselves what, what a memory is. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So I want to think about what you just said, which is kind of the, the idea of some of the themes that you explore and particularly um, around identity, the idea that, you know, who, who are we? Are we more than, you know, the collection of data points that can be gathered about us? And, um, and then at the beginning of the book, you, you deal with both that and the idea of family. And like you said, you know, Ellery and her mother and Ellery's living at home again. And what does this mean with her mom? And the mom starts behaving strangely. And so um, I guess I, I want to know why to you, those were, that that's where we had to start. We had to start with identity and trying to understand that and and then trying to understand that within the bigger context of family and how, how in your mind is identity connected to family? I think part of the uh, reason that I wrote the story and wanted to write the story was, um, uh, so I'm an immigrant to the United States, so mm -hmm. I lived in China for like the first 10 years. And so, like Chinese society and Western society have very different viewpoints on you know individuals and our relationships to family, right? And one thing that always strikes me a lot is uh, I like reading advice columns f for no <laughs> good reason. <laughs> but okay. uh, um, one thing, that w yeah, that's interesting is that lots of times people write in and be like, "Well, my parents are old now, and they're like racist and awful people and abusive and et cetera, et cetera. So what do I do?" And often the answer would be, well, of course, you just stop talking to them. Just be estranged, right? You don't have to deal with them anymore. And mm. that's just like advice that would never be given in China, right? Where um, it's the family ties are just so much more important and part of who you are. And of course, there are people estranged from their families in China, but I think the proportion is much smaller than here. Mm. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know the actual figures, but that's, that's my guess. Yeah. Uh, and so part of it is... Uh, for me, like kind of reconciling the uh, 
Chinese values with American values uh, growing up and as an adult now, right? So there are a lot of things that are commonly done in China which may not be seen as appropriate here in the U.S., especially towards children, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot more acceptable, I would say, to um, spank your children or, or you know, um, punish them in ways that uh, to, to, you know, supposedly make them uh, better or, you know, uh, behave better or uh, because they won't listen to you and whatnot. Um, and it, it's really interesting to me because there are things that would yeah, be considered really bad here that are totally acceptable there and maybe vice versa as well. So uh, I thought that would be kind of an interesting uh, element to put into a story. So it's not explicitly stated in the story, right, that you know this is Chinese versus American kind of struggle, but uh, I try to make it kind of a very, very individual story about just one family and how they deal with the struggle of like the self versus the family and can you just cut ties with people once they've done something bad to you or do you try to you know, reconcile and um, try to figure out what it is, uh, how, how these things happen and how to move forward. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of, one of my next questions was was thinking about um, th the family because, in essence, the family there is tiny, right? There's two people. Yes. And I, I think that m most of us, or at least for me, that's not an experience that I am familiar with. You know, having such a small core group right. to to deal with. I mean, it's sort of like it's just you and then someone else and that's right. it and so um i feel like you know the the advice column advice would be even more difficult to implement you know if you're just like well my mom's crazy and they're like well then just leave and you're right. like well but that's it you know that there's no one there's no one else so yeah the one thing i wanted to mention is that you know in the story there's this is maybe a, a continuing this slight science fiction element but there's no father figure right and there's no and there's really no one else mentioned, but I think especially the father figure not having that. And so, you know, I, I think in the story it's that the mom, uh, Valerie, she does artificial insemination or forget if there's a different technology than that. Right. It's not used. explicitly stated. It was just yeah. your father is uh, a sperm. Right. That's somewhere. Yeah, and that's yeah, all, yeah. Actually, that's all she tells Ellery. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's part of the story as well. That Ellery doesn't know so many things right. about her past and it's, it's really upsetting to her that it seemed like all this was kept from her. Yeah, and so I think that's part of it too, is that you know when we find out, or when, when essentially when we find out there is nothing more, you know, I think this is a big part of what she's running into. How is that affecting us? You know, how is not having a father figure here? And, right. and it's interesting because I think a lot of people get into the idea of, well, you know, a single mother can do just fine and, and you know, there isn't like we don't need to rely on anyone here. Do you, was that a part of why you included that? Why, why was it important to you to not have a father here and how did that ultimately kind of affect Ellery? Yeah, th these, are, these are really good questions. Uh, yeah, I would definitely want to preface this by saying, like you're saying, yeah, single parents can do a great job parenting or, you know, two moms, two dads. Uh, but in this special case, I think Valerie really decided to cut off all contact um, between Ellery and anybody else in the expanded family, right? And it was mentioned near the end that kind of 
yeah, you had grandparents, but I didn't let you see them. Uh, and it's this weird way that she just really wanted to take control and just mold Ellery into whoever she wanted to make her uh, with, you know, no outside uh, influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's that's impossible, right? And, and as Ellery grows up, you know, she realizes, well, other families are very different from mine. And it takes her a long time to realize it, but she does eventually uh, realize it. And I, th- I thought that was, well, I, I decided to, you know, write it that way because I thought it was a very interesting. Um, it's like almost like Valerie decides to, you know, get rid of the traditional Chinese family structure and just uh, have it be, you know, my daughter and I. But Ellery then has to deal with these consequences of trying to figure out, well, should I, should I kind of, yeah, cut off this last tether from between me and, you know, any, anybody I'm biologically related to, or should I, you know, try to work things out with her? Um, I thought it created interesting conflict. Uh, and also, like, honestly, as a, you know, because it's a short story, there's only so many things you can get to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you kind of you kind of have to pick and choose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things that I was actually really impressed by in the story is that there are so many different major themes and ideas brought up and discussed. And, you know, obviously you don't get into each of them in depth. And maybe that's right. if you ever, you know, turn this into a book, maybe that's what you can think about doing. But just the, the initial ideas are sprinkled all about the book in many different ways. And I think that's um, that was pretty well done. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so. The next kind of major plot point is like that Valerie leaves <laughs> and uh, it's not clear what's happening and Ellery kind of calls in uh, uh, the, to the police and the police aren't sure what to do here because it's like uh, Ellery doesn't even have a photo and it's just like this weird sort of situation that Ellery finds herself in. And I think for me, Ellery's response to all this was what was most interesting you'd sort of feel like, just to project a little bit, but if I were just by myself, living with my mom, my mom disappeared, I would kind of go berserk to some degree, you know? I would just be, like, calling everyone and posting notices up and, you know, and whatever I could do, I think I would be trying to do. And it's it's interesting that it seems like Ellery takes it a lot differently than I might have expected, and then... But but still in a way that shows that she deeply cares and maybe is even obsessed about her mom. But she doesn't, you know, respond in like a, a freak out intense way. So maybe like talk about like who who I think this this shows us a lot about who Ellery actually is and that and the level of caring, but also the, the way in which that is shown. And maybe just talk a little bit about that that moment in the story. Right. Uh, so basically, the moment Valerie leaves, she's like, oh, I'm going to go off on this important mission. Goodbye. And she just leaves, right? And so Ellery's first thought was just kind of like, oh, I guess that happened. Okay. Uh, I think it didn't really fully sink in for her how you know, important and uh, crucial it is that she be found until she decides to, okay, like I have to go to the police and really find my mother. I think... Uh, this is on both of their parts that uh, even when Valerie, her mother, is not well, sh- her mother still projects this aura of like, I'm totally fine. I can take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And Ellery, on the other hand, she wants to pretend everything's okay. 
And this is both in her personality, the way she's brought up, like she's a very shy and quiet and just tries to uh, be conflict averse and just pretend everything's fine, right? This is a lot of, of like how she grew up and she had to deal with all these really weird things happening around her by being like, okay, this is fine, like everything's fine. Uh, and so that's part of why she didn't completely freak out and I think yeah, a different person might have, like you said, like she'll try to contact everybody else and uh, try to find Valerie through whatever means necessary. But for Valerie, you know, she even tells all her friends that, oh, my mom's just uh, not well, or you know, it's it's fine, no, nothing <laughs> to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think that really speaks to you know what happened to her and part of her personality that she you know, tries to minimize things and it's not really until her mother is really missing and she starts recovering all these memories of things happening to her that she starts feeling increasingly uh, increasingly uh, confused and upset and becoming more and more emotional yeah. at, at the turn of events yeah right. you know Ellery's mom runs away Valerie runs away and eventually uh, you know, eventually she's found and just somewhere very far away and it's not clear how she got there and it's kind of this whole random thing. Um, but you mentioned something and I, and I didn't, I'm still not 100% sure. Like I, I, I got it correctly, but the police or paramedics can't just grab her and go. There's this kind of rule that a person has to be at the point of hurting someone else before they can be taken in. Right. And yeah, and so I, I want to kind of explore that for a second because it's you sort of wrote it as a as a compromise society agreed to. So I'm just curious, like what 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 that all means, what kind of a compromise that is, and and uh, maybe what. What, why why society was able to kind of come to, come come to a compromise around that that thing in particular? Yeah, it's uh, part of what I came up when I was envisioning this near future society, and I was thinking about how having this constant surveillance would change things. And I had decided that if the society stayed looking like a democracy, where you know the ruling power you know, ch uh, changes uh, parties once every few years and people would kind of keep trying to you know tug have this like tug of war back and forth between mm -hmm. maybe more liberal and conservative ideas so to say and i had decided that if uh this surveillance system was set up then obviously many civil liberties groups would would say hey this violates you know our individual liberties but then i think politicians may be you know influenced by the benefits that surveillance can potentially provide in, in the lobbies, of course, but I think they would say, well, look, you know, crime rates have gone down in these places because of the surveillance systems, and these people are very happy with the uh, new individual personalized products that uh, are much better suited for, you know, that than generic products, so there are some benefits to surveillance. How about we just add this Band-Aid to, to improve civil liberties such that, you know, you can't be committed against your will. You have to, uh, like you said, either, either be hurting someone or maybe just demonstrate total lack of uh, coherence. And so that's kind of the, uh, the, the angle I decided to go with, that I thought this was something that might happen, that instead of, you know, really uh, completely, you know, 
adding something to society and taking it away that we would just keep trying to patch more and more things on there mm. in really weird directions and it would just get bigger and bigger in terms of uh, the the bureaucracy and the, the, the number of <laughs> strange rules uh, that, that might yeah that might happen so that that was my idea of how it might turn out yeah and that's really interesting because I think that's a pretty probable one in the sense that you're right like it just if you looked in the past you can kind of see an upward trajectory of increasing surveillance and in various ways um, across government across private sector or whatever else and at the same time, that increase in surveillance is, you know, there's groups like the EFF and ACLU and right. all of them, and they're trying to fight and push back. And so there's kind of some safeguards or watchdogs or whatever put on that. And it's, then it just turns into like this kind of back and forth battle to some extent. Right. So I can see how how that, that might be the case. And I think especially it's interesting to contrast that with um, a place like China, um, like you were saying, where where there are... To, to make it different in the sense that maybe the way that family is dealt with, and so that's a cultural thing, like, you know, and, and things like spanking are okay, and and you have an extended family that's very important to you, but at the same time, there are other aspects like this constant mass surveillance that's happening in China that, I, you know, I'm not an expert, but my guess would be that this sort of thing would never happen. Like, there wouldn't be these sort of, like, nice compromises with groups that don't agree with what's happening, you know, it just would kind of happen. So, yeah, I guess I wonder, like, is there, is is this future that you're describing one that is uniquely possible within the United States? And, and is, it, is it a United States story because of that? Or do you feel like this is something that could happen anywhere, it just so happened that things were tweaked to fit within the, the U.S.? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so while the actual story is set in the U.S., I think it's uh, very much just the consequences of having you know, increasingly technologically uh, advanced uh, nations with also, uh, like I was saying, the different groups, uh, each with different agendas and interests and all each having some voice in government, mm -hmm. uh, not just you know a dictatorship or just one party just rules and you know nobody gets nobody else gets to have any input right and yeah so that's kind of the the feeling i try to convey i think it could happen maybe in, in places like europe but they do have more more privacy laws for now yeah yeah uh, but i could i could definitely see that happening eventually um yeah i think surveillance technology has become uh really quite scary. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm working in big data industry right now and it's just crazy how much data there exists on each person uh, from all different sources and that they can really kind of reconstruct a picture of your life from data. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so that's I think part of the, th the world that we're coming to, whether or not we like it or not, this is what's happening now and we have to decide what, what to do about it, if yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and this so this like sort of directly leads into the next question I want to ask you, which is, you know, at one point, Ellery's given the opportunity to watch everything that ever happened to Valerie. Uh, and, you know, this is obviously sort of one of the more sci-fi elements to the story. And I think a great way of using science fiction to tell an important element of the story. And so, you know, at the beginning, we find out that there's like this kind of 
like the, there's like a memory confusion element happening here. Some parts, you know, it's unclear. I know definitely for me, like I have huge gaps in my memory from my young childhood. I, I think it's probably the opposite of what you were saying about you and your parents. You know, like I think my parents remember specific things about me and have told me stories that I have no knowledge of. So it's sort of the reverse and it's interesting to kind of ponder like, wow, okay, so I was doing things as a kid and I don't, you know, I don't know. So anyway, so she can, so Ellery can look at everything that happened to Valerie and that means, of course, that that happened to her as well and she decides to. And so, I mean, first off, why, why, why would you or wouldn't you decide to do something like that is something that initially struck me. It's like, wow, I feel like that could go really interestingly, like really badly, you know, to find out, like, who knows what you might uncover. Um, so I guess, yeah, why, why did she want to do that? And, you know, should we be, should we be worried about what we don't remember? Right. Uh, I think in Ellery's case, she was given the option to view these memories, right? The police basically dumped it in her lap and was like, well, you can watch it if you want. And she, hesitates for a moment but she decides that because she has all these bad childhood memories she has to find out if they're real or not and and it's that's why she decides to uh view her memories and uh i think yeah overall it's probably not so good for for us to be able to see everything that happened uh, i think this is yeah this is a pretty uh, often explored idea in science fiction. You know, different people have different ideas about what happens. But one of the things that happens is that we can now really keep score on each other really well, right? Using with the help of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a good thing because then we will remember every single past slide and oh look, you did this thing wrong in the past, and 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 it's like our brains are not. I don't think our emotions are equipped to have this kind of <laughs> detailed scorekeeping. I think it's good that something's happened and we forgive each other and we move on because otherwise we would be consumed by this, you know, rage and need for uh, correction of past grievances and, and whatnot. And I think that would just make it really hard to live uh, for many people. So, yeah, I don't think it's that good. And, uh, well, with, with Particular with like parents and children, right? I, mean, I think a lot of new parents know that they they make all sorts of terrible mistakes, and but they're glad that their child won't remember it, uh, and and that's definitely yeah something that's p- perhaps better left in the past than uh, say you know aired out again in in the future. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's really interesting you point that out then because I feel in the book not only then do we have this aspect of memory, which is you can re- you can look at and and find out about all these ancient memories but you have the opportunity to change them and this is another sort of sci-fi element that's been explored been explored elsewhere but you know in this case especially after seeing these memories there's then an opportunity to say okay i mean to kind of your point that you know maybe maybe it's not so great to keep score to this level and uh, maybe we should do something about these these memories that are just there and and uh, you know maybe not not so great <laughs> and and are reminding us of things that didn't go well you know either as as parents or children or whatever but she doesn't really do that in the book she she has the opportunity and and avoids it and 
So I'm curious about, you know, why, why someone would have, take the opportunity to look at old memories, knowing that you might see negative stuff. And then once you see the negative stuff, you know, and like you were talking about, you know, want to, you know, uh, come to that realization that they are negative and things didn't go well and whatever, you know, why would you want to sit with that still? Why is that, imp- why, why are, why are memories that, that are not necessarily so positive good to retain or why were, why were they something that Ellery wanted to retain? Right. Uh, so the types of memory uh, modifications in this near future world are pretty advanced. So you could have your memories completely removed or you could just have the emotions disassociated with memory. So you could just have a bad, bad memory but not feel that bad about it. Uh, mm-hmm. You could just be like an academic record in your brain like, oh yeah, that this happened to me and well, that's that's all. I don't feel anything about it. Uh, and I, I feel like it's kind of a cliche, you know, almost in science fiction, that you know people can choose to erase memories, but then in the end they choose not to because then it will remove who they are and so on and so forth. Uh, I think in this particular case, though, Ellery could have gone with the route of removing the negative feelings from her memories, but she chose instead to talk to her mother and reconcile with the real person who did these things to her. And I think that's really the important route that I chose for the book, uh, for her to not, in, in the end, cut off ties, but to try to make it work out and try to you know, actually fix something that's broken and not working instead of just letting it go. Uh, and I think that's what was important to me, that uh, Ellery tries to fix, not fix these memories, but you know, accept these memories and kind of uh, get the full context around them with the real human mother that she has as opposed to you know, using some uh, surgical means. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, suggestion just in, in today's times generally. You know, there's so right. many different ways in which you can take that kind of metaphor, that idea that we need to actually deal with our problems, <laughs> essentially, as opposed to take, taking a shortcut. I think that's right. kind of at a very high level what, at least to me, this was saying. And I think that's that's exactly the case, which is, you know, there whether with families, whether with medicine, whether with you know, so many different things in life, we are offered shortcuts now. And I think part of what you were saying is, you know, let's let's focus again on the the here and now and the present moment and, and trying to work things out with with the people we care about. Absolutely. Cool. Well, um, so as, as, as you can tell, people out there, this is a fascinating book. I'll give you one last question there. Was, is there any other ideas or anything else that you wanted to kind of get at that we hadn't talked about so far in this, in this story? Yeah, well, I think we were very thorough. Yeah, I think you did a really good job kind of sussing out the main themes in the book. Uh, I would maybe just end with the thought that, you know, this is a very individual book of like, story of one family and what happened there and it may not pertain to other families i'm not saying everyone should try to talk to their mm, terrible relatives <laughs> yeah but, uh, I, yeah i think it's just something that everyone has to you know decide for themselves uh what to do and uh yeah i hope that everyone out there can kind of um hopefully get away uh, take away from this book a message that you know you can of control things 
you can't con change your past, but you can control how you feel about the past and how mm -hmm. you use that to drive your future. Cool. Well, I always like to check in on on what else you might be up to or doing or working on these days. I know you mentioned your your big data uh, uh, day job, I'm guessing, but is there anything else either with that or with your writing or anything else that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, so I've mostly been writing poetry uh, for the past few months or so. Uh, so the story, Hard Mother, Spider Mother, Soft Mother, was written about a year ago. Uh, I find poetry somehow easier to write because I often can finish it in one sitting. Uh, these are short poems, <laughs> nothing long. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah I just um, I'm trying to find, having enough attention span for longer works is, uh, is a pain because every time mm -hmm. I sit in front of it, I have to kind of, you know, go back to where I was, where I left off, and that's that's not easy. So, yeah, that's something I have to work out for myself, uh, how to write long things again. Uh, and I'm currently working on a, a few stories um, of different levels of science fiction, um, and uh, hopefully they'll see the world one day. So I, I was actually working on uh, quantum computing in my Ooh. graduate school. Yes, so a lot of various uh, quantum stories that I would definitely like to get out uh, if I can, you know, ever finish them. But I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. That yeah. sounds great. Um, and just so everyone knows, what is the best way to actually acquire this? I know you said Radix. That's R A D I X. So what is the best way to get a copy of the story? Yes, so uh, they're an independent uh, publishing house and bookseller, well, yeah, pu publisher in Brooklyn. So they sell books directly through their website uh, at radixmedia.org. And if you just go there, you can see both this book and all the other chapbooks in the same series. And they're all about uh, near futures and different aspects of what might happen in the future. And there's topics on like climate change and uh, um, you know other sort of like animal, humans, and relationships, and lots of interesting things. So definitely yeah. check out the whole series. Uh, it's only available on their website because they actually hand print every single book, and they're actually really beautiful pieces. Yeah, um, totally, it's they like are. Letterpress, so you could just like you know cool. Yeah, it the feels colors. nice, and it's. Yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's a great, yeah. uh, great thing. Yeah, definitely support uh, indie publisher if you can. Yes, always. Totally agree. Cool. Well, okay, let's do a quick thunder round, getting to know you, and then we'll call it a day. All right? Sounds good. Okay, so first question, what is your favorite food and or drink? Yeah, so I love Chinese food. Uh, nice. It's always like mom's cooking, right? It brings back all the... The memories. The good memories this yeah. time, yeah. So it's Is there like, a particular dish? Yeah. Um, when I go home, I always ask my mom to make like eggs and tomatoes, which is like mm -hmm. the Chinese national dish, as some people call it. Uh, not many non-Chinese people know that, but yeah. What? So describe it. What is yeah, eggs and so tomatoes? Yeah, so it's just like stir-fried scrambled eggs uh, with tomatoes. It actually uh, came from the Middle East, like on the Silk Road, mm -hmm. um, and now we've just, it's like very, very popular in China as like really cheap and delicious. Yeah. And uh, I also love like pork rib soup. That's also a very traditional Chinese dish. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. And uh, drink-wise, I love boba, like milk tea. I actually just had one before <laughs> I came here today. Nice. Get you, get <laughs> you through the interview. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's okay. There are worse things to be addicted <laughs> to, I think. That's true. Uh, cool. Where is your favorite place you've ever been? Uh, so I've been to a lot of places that I enjoyed. Uh, and one thing that really... 
Uh, one place I really liked was actually The Hague in the Netherlands. That mm-hmm. was one of the first places when I visited that I could actually see myself at home there. Like, oh, wow. That's not, that was not a home. Yeah, obviously. yeah. Um, so what elements did, did it have that made you think right. that? Right. I, I don't really know. I mean, it, maybe because I was, I was in Boston at the time, and it mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of, like, Boston, but in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just an overall vibe, and... Um, and, and the way the houses were set up and yeah, it was very beautiful and oh. I'd love to go there again someday. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. And last question, mm. if you could wave a magic wand and change any one thing, what would it be and why? So that's a tough one. Uh, I, I maybe I would go with a nerdy answer and that there's mm-hmm. a lot of unsolved math and science questions out there that we're trying to figure out. And I would love to know the answers to some of them. Um, like for example, in computer science, there's this really big debate um, that's just called P equals to MP, which actually takes a while to explain, but it's basically just a really big mystery of whether or not um, certain types of problems are, would be, are hard to do with computers or maybe they're actually not. There's like a shortcut to doing them with on computers. Mm. And people have been figuring this out for uh, decades and it just seems like a really hard problem to prove either way. It's actually like a math problem. That's yeah. interesting. And, yeah. and does quantum computing have any say uh, in that at all? That's a that's a great question. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> People okay. are trying to work on it also okay. from the Sneaky. quantum angle. So, okay. Yeah. So solving a hard <laughs> problem to help science. I think right. that's a great suggestion. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. So fair enough. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much. The uh, story again is Hard Mother, Spider Mother, Soft Mother, available on radixmedia.org. Hao Zhang, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, John. This was great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Read, Learn, Live. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. If you hated it, tell a friend and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. And so it goes. (laughs) 